Exploring Chiropractic, episode 49, Placebo Effect in Manual Therapy with Brian Fulton. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Exploring Chiropractic. I am your host, Dr. Nathan Cashin. My guest in this episode is Brian Fulton, a registered massage therapist in St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada. And Brian is the author of The Placebo Effect in Manual Therapy, which is a 290-page book that serves as a manual for manual therapists on harnessing the effect of placebo. And as we discuss in this episode, I've long uh, been resistant to the idea of using placebo in any way, but this book has completely changed my perspective, and I especially appreciate the term contextual effects, which he uses to describe all of the different and various aspects of placebo. Uh, We discuss definitions, examples, all the different factors that come into play, uh, and a little bit about how this book came together. As always, if you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or subscribe to my YouTube channel as well for future videos of interviews, as well as product reviews and other thoughts and information that I'll be sharing about chiropractic. Well, hey, I'm excited to talk with you. Um, uh, Your book really changed my mindset uh, as far as the placebo effect is concerned. Um, and so I come from, uh, you know, more, I'm sure, an evidence-based background, more science-focused. And the idea of placebo to me uh, was really anathema for so long. Like, anything that's placebo, just, no, set it aside and get rid of it because it's not yeah. worth it. And are then I read your now? book. We, uh, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay, just check it, just check it, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I like to jump into it when the when the conversation starts flowing. Just need to know. Okay, no more cursing and swearing. I got you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, eh. Yeah, but then I, I read your book and it, it just completely changed my perspective and I, I began to understand the value of placebo. Um, but I certainly have uh, some uh, – what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, reservations. Some, some reservations, yeah. Yep. Yeah, based on so I'm I'm really excited to get into that, but I want the audience to get to know you, um, and I always love to start with when you were a little kid. What did you want to be when you grew up? I had no idea. I honestly had no idea. I I I don't, and I don't know how many kids do. Maybe some do, but uh, I had I had one friend who knew he wanted to be a doctor, and bless his heart, that's what he. And he tied right into it, and I would love to have had that focus, mm-hmm. but I've ne- I never have. And honestly, even as an adult at this point, looking back in my life, I I find myself interested in things, and then I kind of move on. Like even the placebo effect, uh, I've really enjoyed. I've kind of moved on from that. Oh, interesting. But, okay. but I get killed back. You know, I mean, obviously, because I get asked to do seminars and and sometimes podcasts and and, and et cetera, et cetera. So I get sort of back into it. But I find that a lot of times, once I've ticked a box off, I think, okay, what do I do now? So I'm I'm a little bit more of a. I have to admit, a butterfly. I'm not someone who's though. I, I'd be the first to say it. When I went back to school for massage therapy, I was 42, and I just loved it. I ate it up. Uh, I was just so interested in what was going on in my own body as well as, you know, people's bodies. And it was just such an incredibly good fit, I felt, for uh, my personality and my strengths. So uh, so I've been at that now for about 20 years as a massage therapist. 
So what led you to, to go to massage therapy school? Oh, geez, you won't believe this. But my girlfriend said to me one night, Brian, <laughs> you ever thought of becoming a massage therapist? And I, so the next morning I said to her, well, I'm going to become a massage therapist. And she, <laughs> says, she said, I think you should think about did all night long I ran everything through my head and I already had like a long list of things I didn't want to do I knew my strengths and my weaknesses and I'd already spent 20 years working you know in the trades and I wasn't sure what my next career was going to be and it was just like tick 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 I said to her yeah I'm going to become a massage therapist and she says you should think about it (laughs) what prompted that did you give her great shoulder rubs now and then or what was it about massage therapy that you thought would be such a great fit well, I think I have to credit her thing I hadn't recognized because I had never even had a massage before then. Huh. Um, and I think she must have credited that uh, that maybe I had some strengths because she had received massage therapy. And uh, as I say, I've always been very holistically oriented. Science was very strong in high school. I did quite well in the sciences and maths. And... Uh, and I've always liked one-on-one, um, and I certainly was, you know, moving away from noisier environments. I mean, every, everything about it. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, massage, probably like, chiropractic is the same thing, manual therapy in general. I would say it's your head, your heart, and your hands. You know, your head's the knowledge, your heart is the intuition and the intent, and then your hands. And it was almost like, for me, it's like being a child again, going back into that playfulness. Play-Doh or playing in mud mm-hmm. is you're playing with people's bodies, and I, maybe that's a crass way of putting it. But it's it's it also means that it's fun and it's playful what we do as well as everything else. So I love the purity. My 40s were all about getting back to basics and down to its absolute core, and uh, the simplicity of massage therapy really uh, and manual therapy in general really drew me in. Very interesting. Yeah, there's so much about it that I I love for the same reasons that you mentioned. Um, for me, it's the kind of the intertwining of anatomy and science and physiology, um, and then being able to work with your hands as well. Um, after you got into massage, what then triggered this curiosity and almost obsession about placebo? Um, I was had the fortune pretty early on in my career to become a staff health writer for a local magazine, and it's just like a community magazine, but you know, maybe twenty, thirty thousand copies. Um, and uh, my editor was just the greatest guy. He's like, whatever you want to write about, Brian, just go right ahead and write about it. He, I never had to run anything past him, you know. And uh, and I had, I think I heard something on CBC at one point. I thought. I'd like to know more about what uh, the placebo effect is. And then I just started digging into what it is because on the one hand, it sounds like it's the mysterious thing. But when you dig into it, it's really pretty – it's quite understandable. It's it's basically you know the social and the component of the treatment. And um, you are basically tapping into these aspects. It's the interpersonal aspects of, the, of, of what's going on in every medical encounter. Um, and so I actually uh, – I had a three-week holiday planned, and I didn't know what I was going to do, so I took seven textbooks with me, and I started out, and basically, and I didn't even have internet at that point where I was renting, and I laid out the whole outline of my book at that point. Now, it took me seven years to eventually get it together and written, but uh, that was sort of well more than an article, and I didn't know if it would ever be published, but I just started it with the idea of, you know what, I'm just going to do this, 
just like I've done a few things in my life and I'm just going to travel, see it out to the end and see what it becomes of it. But in the end, it did get published. I sent it off to Handspring and they picked it up fast. Uh, um, um, one Leon uh, Chaitow, one of my heroes, if he'd write the forward for me, and he said, sure, absolutely. So, like, you know, the first person I asked to write the forward said yes, and the first person, first company who I asked to publish me, pretty excited. I really couldn't have been luckier. And had you written a book before this, or was this your no, first? No, yeah. no, no. That's no. amazing. I mean, that's just... Yeah, I know. Just, <laughs> and it sounds like... the it, Irish. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like it really was... Uh, more for your own benefit, more for your own curiosity to put all this information together. Um, but it's become a valuable resource for so many people now. Yeah, and I don't know what writing books is for most people, but I, I think for in this case here and for some people, it starts out with, oh, this is an interesting subject, bigger and bigger and bigger. And you realize mm-hmm. this is not an article. This is like way beyond an article. And then and at some point, it just becomes a book. Well, let's dive into it. So... Can you define placebo effect for me? I would say that uh, placebo. Um, I realized that I, I didn't get myself a glass of water before this thing, so I might have to just take a break in a minute or two and get one. Okay. Um, a placebo effect might actually. I, I make a point of kind of putting things to a few different charts, and I would say you know that in terms of what goes on, first off, there's a trigger. And that's a, what I would call a social, psychosocial trigger. Um, that's something in your environment around that, that triggers something. And that that thought pattern um, triggers something along a neurobiological pathway. And then that pathway eventually manifests some sort of an effect, which may be subjective and it may be objective. But uh, it all starts with a thought. And the fact is we know that our neural tissue reaches every other uh, tissue in our body it reaches everywhere and it and it there's really no systems that it's not touched by our neurological system so it's not a big surprise that it has an ability to affect change modulate and down modulation we tend to call the nocebo effect and then um, upregulation would be the placebo effect and and the one I don't think they're they're really a different thing they are simply one is the continuum it's a continuous uh, thing and so if if you get a fear reaction to something, you tend to have a nocebic reaction. And if you can calm your client down, you'll have a more positive reaction. And placebo, I would say, is just simply – I use the term placebo in my book simply because when I started looking into the National Library, there's way more information than you'll find under placebo than you'll find under contextual effects or nonspecific effects or you know psychosocial triggers. There's a bunch of – words that you can use and these words are all just as valid as one another in my opinion I had to come up with a word and I just chose placebo because I thought A it sounds a little mysterious and B um, there's actually way more uh, research available under that uh, medical subject heading than there is under any other medical subject heading and I think it's important to keep in mind that when we talk about placebo in the in the medical context that oftentimes what's being referred to is well, I should say more more specifically in the pharmaceutical context, we're talking about an inert substance, substance right? So in a lot of studies, it's a sugar pill. Um, and it seems to me that that may be part of the reason that placebo is a little bit maligned, right? A lot of people, myself included, um, think that the placebo is something that should be discarded. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I would not argue against that. Certainly, I think that you know, and and uh, I don't know if you have looked on or not, but certainly I also um, am involved in a, a in a page look, which looks at placebo effects in manual therapy on Facebook and times you know that this is the wrong term and i mean i don't know what to tell these guys because yeah you're right it is not the perfect term um my reasons that i can outline this is what i just said is you know why i've used that term um and i'm in no way do i support of course the idea of handing out placebos it's just that we need to understand what these triggers are and these are psychosocial triggers or people will use the term contextual triggers which is entirely accurate um so what we're just learning to do is to manage all these contextual effects that is about it's not about about uh, an inert pill that's for sure and so i i love that term contextual effects to me that really um clarified how this applies to manual therapy. So give me kind of a description or definition of contextual effects. Contextual effects. Oh, geez, you know, there's a, geez, I wish I had uh, all my books in front of me at the exact same time because the a fellow at Harvard who manages uh, placebo studies at Harvard, who's me at the moment, Ted Kapchuk, um, he has just an absolutely wonderful definition, um, which, you know, he talks about medical, in his term, he's actually defining as, you know, medical ritual, um, but that's what you were calling contextual effects. Everybody has so many words and terms to describe the same thing, but he's saying, you know, medical ritual is everything from, you know, the handshake that you get when you come in the door to the, the coat that the doctor's wearing, to the smells that you see, to the... Uh, to the uh, charts that are on the wall, music that may or may not be playing. There's, I mean, anything. It's it's a whole medical or social milieu that you are, arrive in. Uh, this isn't at home. You come to the doctor's office. You come to the chiropractor's office, to the massage therapist's office, and suddenly immersed in that milieu. I Does love that. Make that. Sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, again, that's what makes me. Um, what I like about that term is that it applies to everything. Again, placebo can be confused to be to be a placebo pill, um, but contextual effects uh, certainly applies to manual therapy. But it can apply to the doctor's office. I was just uh, in the doctor's office the other day, and uh, it, you you feel that you're there, right? There, that yep. environment makes you think and act a little bit differently. And what was so great about your book is that it's a discussion of how you can harness that, the environment, the smell, all of these different elements that you mentioned, how you can harness that for good um, yeah. and a warning of how that can actually be used, um, I won't say for evil, but but in negative ways, which yeah. is the nocebo that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, now, in so, the end, I would say too that by the time I got towards the end of the book, I didn't really care whether it was called a placebo effect, whether what I was describing was all placebo effect. I was really interested in anything that was really other than manual. I mean, other than the because I don't know what it's like in chiropractic school, but in massage therapy school, it's almost all. 99% of our education is hand um, And it turns out that you know, the hands-on part is important, but at least 50% of what's going on is not related to the hands-on stuff. And that's what I became suddenly very, very interested in, is all the other non-manual components that that, that affect therapeutic outcomes. So the article that you send, which I'll include in the show notes, uh, goes through, I think you've got 20-something 20, 20 uh, different types of placebos or factors uh, that go into this. 
And I want to touch, we won't, won't touch on all of them, but I want to touch on a few because um, I think they really explain how, how this can be used. So uh, one, that you, something you said is the most important thing we can do as therapists, and certainly as a doctor, as a massage therapist, as a chiropractor, is listening. Yep. So how is listening uh, a placebo? Well, once again, I don't, I don't know if I want to get into uh, uh, the argument over whether something is actually a, a placebo or not, but we know for sure that if you listen, and there's lots of studies that support this, but simply listening to your patient um, can affect therapeutic outcomes. And there's a number of studies that have that they, I think they tested in one case, it was Dr. Martin Bass, a Canadian doctor, and I think it was two different studies, but basically what they found looking at 10 different factors, the most important factor in terms of how the client, this was a subjective outcome, how the client felt had been, what effective, how effective their treatment was, was whether or not they felt listened to. So, I mean, listening is A, extremely important. And B, if you've ever looked hard into listening, you quickly realize listening is not a passive process. You need to stop and listen, but you also need to echo back and make sure that that, that, that you are hearing and that the person hears what you heard and echoes back to say that that's what I heard. And it also sometimes involves questioning them on some of those things. Um, I mean, simply uh, talk therapy is a therapy on its own. So just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't chiropractic you guys have a shorter business model than we do we have an hour and i have a potentially an hour to listen i had someone on the table today i did a lot of listening part <laughs> <laughs> um but um but there is a there is definitely a therapeutic component a look just in simply listening and as you know yourself when it comes to case history taking and everything else listening is just like gold because that's where all the information comes out and part of it is really giving space and giving time to that patient uh to allow them to speak right? yep. if, you, if you ask uh close-ended questions um and boom one after the other without allowing them to tell their story i think is how you you describe it um yeah you don't build that relationship you don't build that trust yep um and so that you know, not only gives you more clinical information by listening, um, but also gives the patient a feeling of being heard and and gives them, I think, some more hope that yep. the outcome will be better. And something that happens in our, you know, in our two professions that doesn't necessarily happen in every medical profession is we also have the listening with our hands. I mean, we can feel mm. certain things that, that other medical professionals don't necessarily uh, hear with their hands. You mentioned one of these other factors is the use of a ritual. Yeah. And this is something that I think about uh, a lot, usually about every four weeks when I go to get a haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, to me, that's such a, a perfect example of how the ritual, the, the, the steps that are taken throughout that process um, make you feel comfortable, make you feel like you know you expect what's coming. And, you know, I always think it's the littlest things like the way the the barber or the stylist will take that towel and pop it before yeah, they tuck yeah, it yeah. in, you know, yeah, if they're yeah, going to wash yeah, your hair. Yeah, so yeah. just those little things. Um, but I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on on how we can use ritual to create that environment, create that effect. 
Yeah, like I mean, ritual is upset of conditioning, and uh, if you look at the, you know the traditional looks at the placebo effect, what what man, what caused the placebo effect to manifest? I would say there's three basic things. There's expectation, there's conditioning, and then there. So with expect expectancy is what is what is your client expecting to happen? Um, with conditioning, what are their what's their previous conditioning, whether positive or negative, and that comes into play in in, uh, in ritual. And then uh, meaning is a very broad everything from listening and a whole host of other things. Um, so under the subset of conditioning, um, if your client patient has lots of previous conditioning with you, that already works in your favor. Or with another chiropractor that you, you've had patients like that that have come in, they all in chiropractic uh, when they it's up it's up to you basically to mess it up you know it's up it's right. your game it's your game to lose um, so the, uh, the challenge is of course when people do not have positive uh, conditioning so um, and ritual is has been used religious ceremony and forward to uh, reinforce all sorts of things um, and so it's very very powerful and a, a lot of it is sort of I would say is subtle you don't always think about those things you're saying but like with the barbershop mm -hmm. sometimes those things they're just in the back of your head um and once again this ties into you know as i say what uh, ted capchuk has to say about what medical ritual consists of and and in and, and on the one hand ritual sounds like this bizarre thing but on the other hand a, a classic example give them a glass of water at the end of the massage that it becomes ritualized mm -hmm. um why have one client where at the end of her massage, I would always give her a bit of distraction. Apparently, I wasn't realized I was doing this like as out of a habit. And and then I didn't, you didn't pull on my feet. So like I I have to make a point with her all the time. And there's a few things, there's a few other little things about her. I have to make sure, and, and this is the interesting thing about placebo effect. It, there's no general rule you can sort of say, oh, you need to do this with everybody. No, I mean, has to get tailored to the individual and one person i have one person will come in here they want rock music someone else wants absolutely relaxation music one another person wants no singing whatsoever so um those are all rituals that people have come to get gotten used to and the other thing it's interesting about ritual is that um people are actually coming to you this is another sort of a, a transcendental aspect of ritual people are let's say you've given them their remedial exercises, their home exercises, and but they've tried at home and they're not getting better. They're still, still coming back to you to get the magic. And what's the magic? Well, it turns out the ritual might be a part of the magic. Um, and uh, so they've tried A, B, and C at home, but it's not till they come here and all these components are melded together. The sounds and your confidence, it could be a whole host of things, and all of a sudden, boom, they're sort of they're able to sort of get somewhere else with their body that they weren't able to get on their own. The third component of ritual, which is very, very interesting, I think uh, talking to therapists is that I, I suggest they consider, and that is take a ritual of just a minute or two before you go into every treatment and just clear yourself so that you're not walking in with the problems from the last, from your house or from, you know, your kids client or from the bookkeeping or whatever they might happen to be it's so easy to carry that garbage in with you but you can just do a little you know one or two minute thing or sorry not two minutes i mean we're talking about 10 15 20 seconds sometimes just to clear yourself so that you can so that's another aspect of ritual that we can use in our in our positive effect yeah that's interesting that it's not just ritual for the patient uh, yeah. but also what we do and there's um 
there's a group of um, chiropractors who do a particular type of adjusting training. Mm-hmm. Um, they call themselves the the adjusting ninjas, and uh, they have lots of videos online. Yep. And and this is something that they do. Uh, you can see it in their videos for every patient that they go to. They'll stand at the feet. They'll pause. Sometimes close their eyes, take a couple of yep. deep breaths before yep. they touch the patient. And right. I think that's a, an interesting example of it. Um, which leads me to kind of a a question about maybe the ethics of placebo, but you know, these effects don't necessarily rely on the validity of the treatment or the tool that's being used, right? So we know that there's, um, there's good evidence for a lot of treatment, uh, tools that we use. And then there's others that we can't explain how they work and some that we, you know, the evidence can't even show that it does work, um, from a research perspective, but it's clear in anecdotal experiences from the patients and from the practitioners that there's a change, um, and so the question kind of is, you know, if it's just that placebo effect that's affecting change, are we really doing anything? And and should we be trying to do something that actually has an, a, a recognizable effect? Well, I'd say a few things. Um, if you follow the research in the last, I mean, I went to school 20 years ago, and then teachers still seem, maybe they are still the same today, I don't know. They're pretty confident about, you know, we're doing A, B, C, D, or E. Well, it turns out, research, a lot of what we thought we were doing, we are not doing. Um, so we've had to start to re-explain a lot of what we do in manual therapy. Um, and there's tons of studies that would suggest that, um as much about you know, chiropractic, but massage therapy is not anywhere near as efficacious as we thought it was. Mm-hmm. But the experience is efficacious. Right, the, right. The, I know, love getting massages. Yeah, well, yes, and that, um, you know, the outcomes, it's not necessarily because of, you know, when you, when you have to nail down the science, well, it's not that particular move, and it's not that, and it's not that. And the, the whole business, it's become a lot more tenuous least from what I've seen following manual therapy and of the research, is that we are not doing what we thought we were doing. And there's a whole lot more psychosocial components, uh, psychosocial factors that are factoring into the equation. And hence the, you know, like when I started writing this book, it was about the placebo effect. And like 10 years later, everybody, at least everybody within the field that where I am on Facebook, they're talking about, you know, the biopsychosocial model. And um, this is an exploration of the psycho, psychological and the social components. And it's not to deny any of the biology. And the bio, biology is important. These other things are coming into play. So I would say it, what matters is your outcome for sure. But uh, it's just not always going to be that particular thrust or that particular massage therapy move that, that is doing – it could be. It's everything, <laughs> right? Um, and from a from a mindset of being of providing value and of providing the most effective care that we can, um, there's a there's a kind of a, a move in chiropractic uh, for this specialty called a primary spine practitioner. Okay, right, and so it kind of takes the role of a PCP, a GP, 
but specifically for spine complaints. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and in their training, one of the things is to really um, minimize the tools that you use. So, for instance, um, e-stim, right, IFC or other electrical modalities don't have great evidence. So yep. we don't use it in the PSP model, right? Great. We we really focus more on the biopsychosocial. It's really built around that, um, and and so you really want to use those things that are most shown to to be efficacious, um, and so there's this battle for me because when I go to you know get an adjustment. I love those five, 10 minutes when I have some heat on my back in the East. Ritual, end. ritual. Yeah, right. It's yeah, all part of yeah. the ritual. Um, and yet, are we, number one, taking, you, you mentioned another aspect is the locus of control. Are we taking that away from the patient by having them rely on these passive modalities? Um, but then number two, are we relying on something that, that in itself doesn't work? And so we're just relying on those contextual effects around it. And I'm, I battle with myself on kind of the ethics and morality of that. Well, uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I find it very interesting sort of if you're trying to stay on top of things, the discussions that take place and the battles that take place over certain things. And, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think I, I stick with sort of what I said at the very beginning when you're asking me uh, about, you know, where I was headed in life or what I want. Like, I, I refuse to plant my time I plant my flag you know it turns out you know uh, hang on that grounds a little bit not as solid as I thought it was and you can sort of say I am 100% evidence-based and that's great and that is absolutely fantastic but guess what intuition is still extremely important um, uh, you can't ignore um, your evidence uh, and rely on intuition but on the other hand if the evidence is saying say, eh, that, 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 that intuition is saying you know what I think I should check out such and such check it out I don't know if that's my my sense as a practitioner. I think uh, what I really enjoyed about your book was a discussion of how you can use these contextual effects kind of on top of the evidence-based treatments, right? So um, not use them in a way necessarily of, of outright deceiving a, pa- a patient um, into thinking you're doing something, but to, to layer them on top of the most effective treatments that are available. Yeah, and, and I would also say that in my opinion, I'm hoping that, you know, because I've I heard uh, um, different sources that I quote cite in this book and, you know, I read a lot of books on this subject. So I hope what I wrote is evidence-based as well, too. It's just that it's more on the psychological and the social aspect than than the biological. Uh, everything that I've put forth in the book is based on studies. It's certainly not based on uh, what somebody told me or what my sense is on things. It really creates a challenge for me, uh, kind of an enjoyable challenge. One of one of the things I took notes on in your book is this is the use of reassuring statements. Um, right. So this is trying to give uh, the patients, giving them hope, um, giving them some expectations that you mentioned. Um, and giving them confidence in you. And so it's the idea of saying, oh, we're going to get you better. Um, but as I was reading the book, it, it made me realize you don't have to use cliches or or empty statements that are just meant no. to, to, you know, give them a positive feeling. And there's the challenge is to, to find um, reassuring statements that are grounded in the evidence. Yeah. 
And I would say uh, the best way I have of phrasing that is err on the side of positive. Always err on the side of positive. Um, phrase it. And there's a great video um, that I'm uh, not going to remember the name of the guy who did this. But at any rate, this guy was a U.S. paratrooper, and he'd been dropped a bunch of times, you know, and his knees were just knackered. And, you know, and, and after he was uh, discharged from the Army, people started getting fatter and fatter and fatter, and uh, and he just kind of almost gave up. And uh, and he was trying to, and trying to get some help and whatnot, and, you know, basically his story, as he tells the story, it's a great YouTube video, um, is, is he's finds that every medical professional he says sees says you know you're not going to get you're not going to be able to do a b c or d or e again and um he ends up seeking out diamond dallas page who's this ex-wrestler who's a teaches type of yoga and this guy ends up like losing 100 pounds he's ends up running again he gets up ends up getting his life back again and he gets his life back again partly because one person said you can do this one person didn't limit his own belief system and and there and sort of say you can't do a b c or you're not going to be able to do a b or c so my lesson from that is as a medical professional don't be the person who said who limits someone's belief system that's a great video i've definitely seen that one um and it, it is certainly motivational yeah yeah uh and, you know, you talk about the, um, the kind of the, the competence of the clinician and, and being that person who, who's not the naysayer, who's not negative, but very positive, uh, and how that affect, how that can affect the placebo effect. So there's this, this idea of the certainty or the confidence of the practitioner. Can that go overboard? I mean, I oh. mean, I think it can do. And, and the, I mean, just power of positive thinking is not enough because for most of us, uh, we, you know, we've got all these subconscious routines that are running all the time. Um, and, uh, they, they, de they developed when we were, you know, from everything up until now. Right. So we might be trying to think positive in the front of our mind and the back of your mind is saying, no, Brian, you can't do it. No, you're a failure. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this, this, I mean, this also touches on how it starts to get out of our scope of practice too. Sometimes we just have to refer someone. If we have someone that is just really immersed in a tremendous amount of negativity, we can give them positive feedback. We can help them try to maybe rewrite their story. But there's a time when you might want to say, well, I think you might want to talk to someone about this. And sometimes they, people have to have their own internal story rewritten so that they are at least open to two positive possibilities. Because, you know, if for every one of us, your belief is your only limitation. Uh, it's your big, biggest limitation in life to getting any, doing anything. That's a, for me, at least that, that feels like such a fine line to, uh, you know, to be positive without giving empty promises. Yeah, I mean, people are not going to grow the leg back that just got chopped <laughs> off. I mean, there's there's things we cannot promise, right? But, um, you know, there are definitely people who, who do get back to walking, who, who medical professionals right. say you'll never walk again. So um, you're right, it is a fine line. And we just have to, I would say, just try and be as positive as we can and, and while being realistic. What are some recommendations you have for practitioners, but certainly students, my main audience, I think is students, uh, for, you know, beginning to learn how to implement this into their practice? Um, well, uh, 
it, you've read my book, so you have a sense of what it's about. The first half of the book is is sort of more theoretical. It's, well, I shouldn't say that, but it's it's an exploration of the history and a whole, whole host of aspects of the placebo effect that I think are quite interesting. But basically that is interesting. It's, it's like anything in life is, okay, that's fine, that's interesting. Where does the rubber hit the road? What does that mean to me in my practice? So the second half of the book, I got very nuts and bolts, you know, with a whole host of things, you know, and I mentioned things like, you know, develop the importance of that development of expectations, suggestions we can give our clients, um, examining their belief system and our, our own belief system. Um, the, the topic of hope, making sure that they have hope um, and looking at conditioning conditioning is coming into play. The client's desire is another aspect. Their motivation is slightly different from desire. That's another thing we can explore. There's listening, care and concern. Uh, there's shifting of locus of control um, so that more towards them than ourselves, um, helping them to get a sense of control over their own situation. Um, looking at anxiety, if there's anything that's raising their anxiety to try and lower that, um, making sure that we explain things, understand explanation is extremely important, um, looking at their narrative, what sort of narrative they have, whether they are a hero in their life story or if they are the victim in their own life story, and sometimes we can do feedback to change that, um, helping them towards if, if your client is kind of humming and hawing and they don't feel like they're buying into the treatment or into, you know, home care that you've suggested, then we need to sometimes move them from uncertainty to certainty. Um, there's other things I've written about, you know, things like branding, uh, factor of a new treatment, mm -hmm. um, use of ritual, um, their compliance and and the environment itself. There's things we can do there sometimes to our clinical environment. A massage therapist, we're terribly guilty of this, of making their their own environment like way too cold medical enough. Chiropractors, I think, are much better at, at, at seeing their environment as a professional environment. And then finally, yourself, sort of realizing that you are actually the placebo yourself. So your own professionalism, your own uh, belief system as a clinician, your confidence that the comp, their perception of your competence um, and your attire, your enthusiasm, and um, this is a massive one. Avoiding nocebo language tri triggers, and I just do almost pretty much like one-hour uh, seminars just on that because mm -hmm. at the very least, even if you don't even want to buy into the placebo effect, at least please do not trigger the nocebo effect. And if you just can avoid triggering nocebos, and that's not that simple, but um, it's a hell of a start towards, you know, at least moving things in the right direction. What are some examples of, of triggering the nocebo effect in your experience with massage or if you have any experience in, uh, in ways that chiropractors may be doing that? Um, I'll just point out a few uh, articles that have been written and studies that have been on, written on this and uh, some of the terms that were used. And this particular, this is Peter O'Sullivan, Ivan Lin's uh, paper, um, and messages that can harm patients with nonspecific low back pain. So based on a study that they did, these are the sort of terms that can throw people off. You have degeneration, arthritis, bulge disc, disc disease, or a slip disc. Your back is damaged. A seventy-year-old. Thank. Hopefully, you wouldn't say that. But I've literally had clients come in here who've seen another medical professional who said that to them. You know, you've got the back of a seventy-year-old. Um, um, promote wear and wear. Sorry, promote fear beyond the acute phase. Um, is 
um, um, or to say you have to be careful from now on. You know, take take it easy. You know, your back mm. is weak. So any any message that sort of uh, might promote fear or anxiety or not promote confidence, like we need to teach our clients that their spine is strong and their spine right. is resilient and and it's really really tough and this idea that they need to be afraid of it and they need to take care of it and be gentle with it for the rest of their life is not in their benefit so in chiropractic those- i think one uh, one traditional way of explaining things is that your bones have moved out of place and the evidence is so clear that that's not what happens. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but it's such a simple way to explain it. Oh, we're just going to realign your spine. And yet, you know, for some people, uh, that's not a big deal. Oh, okay, great. Let's straighten me out, doc. But for other people, just the idea that their bones have moved creates, like you said, this fear and um, and then this this feeling that if any little thing goes wrong, they have to get it fixed. And yeah. I, that really takes that locus of control away. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as we've been talking, one thing that's – a couple things that have come to mind are, you know, these YouTube videos, uh, the ASMR videos. Have you come across these? No. Tell me about that. So I used to watch these massage videos and you get kind of this this feeling – of relaxation come over you. And that's now known as ASMR, which I believe stands for uh, autonomic sensory meridian response. And now there's all these different videos of, uh, of massage, of adjusting, of uh, scalp massages and, you know, all these different things. And uh, I think it's a a really interesting example of ritual and how that can lead to those effects, the calming, the relaxation effects. Um, I just love it when they've already been programmed and they're, they've already, you know, like my work is like, they, well, and, and, and as you might guess, in, in massage therapy, sometimes we come into the room and they're already right. relaxed. I don't know if, do you experience that in chiropractic where there's like, yeah, oh. I think a lot of people do. Um, a lot of times because chiropractors build that in by doing um, heat, right? The, the electrical yep. stim, yep. Uh, maybe a roller yep. bed to, to begin that relaxation. Yeah. You also mentioned branding and it's funny. I've been watching uh, this Netflix show called chef's table. And I think Mm -hmm. it's also an interesting example of this contextual effect where uh, these, there are these high end restaurants um, where the chef, the head chef uh, has a profile done on them and, you know, they put everything they can into creativity and every little thing throughout the restaurant is just so you know, clean white linen, yep. the the ambiance yep. and everything. And as I watch this, I think, you know, their food isn't doesn't really cost that much. It's not it's not <laughs> the food that they're yeah. paying for. It's the whole experience. And I think that to yep. me that puts in uh puts into context this idea of contextual effects and how we can apply that. Um and very closely related to that is when I started out my career, I was working in a spa and I was also working in my own uh, clinical environment. In the spa, they were charging twice as much as what I charge. And when you're in a spa, there's there's a you know, there's a hot tub, sauna, and steam rooms, and you know there's all the amenities of the spa. People arrive in their robe; they're already kind of relaxed. So it's a whole environment and ambiance. And I got to tell you, you know, in that first year. I just found it so interesting that I had people say to me, the best massage of my life. 
and it's exact same massage that I was giving other people for half the right. price. Um, so, um, and that is a component of the placebo effect as well too, right? Perceived value and whatnot. So as people pay more for things, they do expect that it will actually be larger effects. So, uh, you're right. It is very, very interesting and it's all context. Well, the, the whole idea is fascinating. Um, again, for the listeners, the book is the placebo effect in manual therapy, improving clinical outcomes in your practice. Uh, again, published by Handspring Publishing. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, I believe, is there an ebook? Yes, yeah. yeah on Amazon, you Great. get the ebook. So, yeah. uh, for those uh, like me as a student who don't have space <laughs> for more textbooks on the shelves, uh, the ebook would be a great option. And links to all the things that we've discussed will be in the, in the show notes. Um, Brian, any, uh, anywhere you'd like people to follow you if they'd like to learn more about your work? Um, on Facebook, there is a group, uh, um, placebo effects in manual therapy. That's probably the best way to sort of, uh, touch on me. Um, I have a, uh, uh, professional Facebook page, but it has more to do with, uh, therapy and just general health, um, and not really so much about the placebo effect. Um, I do on my website, there are actually, uh, yeah, fultonmassagetherapy.com. If they click under practitioners on that, they will see some articles that I've written there and, Website sort of being uh, worked over right now, but eventually there probably will be some. I would like to develop some more, put some more material up there as well too. Yeah, so Fulton Massage Therapy. Great, I'll link to that and uh, share it with everyone else. Well, it's been a great discussion. I wish we could continue. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks so much uh, for your interest in it, Nathan. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, it's, it, I find po- it's the first time I've actually done a podcast. I've done lots of webinars and I've done seminars. Podcast is a totally different animal. It's kind of interesting because like that, 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 or that, but that's okay. I just hammered through a few things and uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, experience. You mentioned me. you've done some CE courses. Are there any available online? Uh, it's a good point. There's one that's being developed by elearning.com. Um, they are currently developing something. That's the only one that I know of. I actually, I did a webinar with them, which had, I think it had CE units, but this is an actual course they're developing, but it has not, I've done all the recording for it, but they haven't yet gotten back to me with a, with a finished okay. product. But I'll well, uh, keep an eye yeah. out for that. Uh, do you have anywhere listed yep. where you teach seminars? Any upcoming? Uh, no, because I'm really flying by the seat of my pants. I, uh, <laughs> going to be at the National Health Practitioners uh, of Canada uh, in May of this year. So I've got a presentation there in uh, May 27th, I think, uh, 26th, on the placebo effect. Um, but nothing else coming up at the okay. moment. But thanks for asking. Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye out. Uh, please post that in the group or on your Facebook page uh, in case people want to follow and, and meet up with you the next time you do a seminar. Okay. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Exploring Chiropractic. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button down below as well as the like button and leave me some comments. Uh, I will be posting some videos about product reviews as well as my thoughts on best ways to study, um, ideas around chiropractic that we should be thinking about. So please stay tuned. If you're listening to the podcast via Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, please head on over to uh, leave a review and drop a few stars for me and give me your feedback. You can always reach out 
at Exploring Cairo on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And send me an email, contact at exploringchiropractic.com. All of the show notes are available in the notes below, whether you're watching on YouTube or in the podcast app, and you can go to exploringchiropractic.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again in the next episode.